Hello and welcome everyone. Today we are very pleased to be joined by Tatiana Frazier and Rachel Sinha who run something called the System Sanctuary. And as you might guess, they're into systems change. And as you might not guess, they're also into how power plays out in systems analysis. So we're so excited to talk with them. They feel like not only colleagues, but kind of kindreds in the work that they're doing. So we're pleased to have um, the two of them with us today. And maybe we'll just start with like a really simple introduction from you, Rachel. Tatiana, can you tell us a little bit about your work and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Rachel Sinha. I'm from the UK originally, but I now live in uh, St. Louis in Missouri, in the uh, unceded territory of the Illini people. And I got into systems change work because I co-founded something called the Finance Innovation Lab, Mm -hmm. which was launched in London in 2008 in the wake of the financial crisis, which is how I know Tim, in fact. Did some work with us on it. The idea was really a partnership between WWF and the Institute of Chartered Accountants. And we co-led it for about eight years in the end with two other women and span it out. And it became an independent charity. It's still going today. And over that eight-year period, learned a huge amount about how to convene diverse actors from across the system and try and get them pushing for systemic change in a big, difficult system to work with. And as I moved to the U.S., a mentor of mine from Canada, Tim Drayman, Tatiana Fraser, who had been asking similar questions to me about systems practice. I had felt very much that when I was doing systems change work, it was really difficult. And most of the time I was kind of making things up as I was going along. And the best help that I ever had was like when I found somebody at a conference who was doing something similar and we could sit down together as peers and have a really good conversation about strategy. And Tatiana had had a similar feeling and had been trying to convene people in the systems field in Canada for a while. We met and the systems sector was born and I'll pass over to her and she can share a bit about what we're doing now. Mm. Please, Tatiana. Yeah. So I'm based in Montreal, which is the traditional territory of the Kanakahage people. And I come to this work, my background is in kind of at the intersection of systems change gender equity and social justice. And I co-founded an organization called Girls Action Foundation many, many years ago and was very fortunate to have been studying at the time with Francis Wesley and Brenda Zimmerman, who were thought leaders in kind of the emerging field of social innovation and systems change. So that was really important kind of learning and was woven into the way we grew and scaled our work. So we kind of brought together this intersectional feminist practice with systems change and complexity theory over the years that we grew and scaled the organization. So when I stepped away uh, from Girls Action, I was really preoccupied with systems change and how we were doing it and challenged to find ways to articulate it. And so I became kind of obsessed with it in a way and was fortunate to join other senior leaders in the field in Canada in an inquiry around the edges of systems change. And that's when I met Rachel. And as she was sharing, we shared a lot of kind of similar passion around creating opportunities for emerging learning around systems practice. And so, yeah, we started the sanctuary and um, what we do 
with the sanctuary is really rooted in creating opportunities for peer learning, whether that's across different issues or in ecosystems as a way to support the kind of collective intelligence and collective strategy and learning about how we're doing systems change. So we come to it from this place of we don't have systems change all figured out and that it's through the doing and the practice that we can see and inform how to move forward strategically. Hmm. I love it. That aligns with a lot of the kind of way we think about systems change too. And we also we also have this kind of like principle at the outside, which is just about joy, because often a lot of what we're facing is so complex and the challenges we're facing it is such a long arc. And so I just had this question of like, what is it that kind of lights the two of you up at the moment? Where is it that like your fight, like where do you find yourself uncontrollably laughing in your work? Uh, like where do you find looking each other in the eye and it just twinkles or when you're in a group of people, where's that happening for you in your work at the moment? How's it, where's it most joyful? I think the most inspiring part of our work is when we're doing peer learning cohorts and there is just, we're creating the conditions for people to be emotionally vulnerable, be honest about the challenges that they're facing. And we're hosting these cohorts over a period of seven months. And so the emotional experience of somebody is layered on top of the emotional experience of somebody else and somebody else. And there is a, a depth of connection and conversation that happens over a period of time where people become incredibly close and intimate with each other, frankly, uh, even though it's all over Zoom. And... There's just a lot of love in the air, frankly. And I really think that that is the kind of um, system change that we're trying to create in the world. It's those moments of deep connection between individuals who are trying to push for the same kind of change. Now, I would, I would add to that that the culture that we create is really, really important. And we really invite the full human to show up. So we always begin our cohorts by saying it's not a performance and that you can expand beyond the title and responsibilities that you have in your job. It is always a joy to be connecting with people who are doing this work, who are so passionate about it, who are so loving about it. And when that human can show up, there's a humility that comes with that and a just spaciousness. Yeah. Which is lovely and makes the work fun and joyful. Well, part of what I'd love to ask you about, because um, you just mentioned it, you mentioned your cohort, you mentioned, you know, uh, what you're doing with them and how they go deep. And of course, just to say, Tim and I are launching our kind of first cohort tomorrow. So it's really on my mind, this, this idea of cohorts. And we're, yeah, we're kind of scrambling mad dash at the last minute, but also feeling incredibly excited to meet these people and have them meet each other and to be in a relationship over several months. And you specifically talk about peer learning as a strategy in your cohort and a strategy for systems change. So I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. I'd love to learn more about how you're approaching that. I'll give you some examples, but I think it's helpful. We started a cohort called the Kitchen Cabinet, which is for senior women leaders working on issues of climate change across Canada. It's a very diverse group from like grassroots organizations through to foundations and NGOs in between. And we convened it over a period of a year in the end. And really it was a, a peer mentoring group for these women identify people to come together and explore the challenges that they're facing in doing their job well you know that they're leading and they're doing this incredible work but they're facing barriers because of the nature of the field of practice that they're in which leans towards technical solutions over cultural shift for climate change and we just create the conditions where people can come together we start off with a conversation about equity and we weave that throughout the whole program 
as a foundational piece that allows a deepening connection in ways that perhaps haven't been had in that group before. And we create the conditions for people to just share the challenges that they're facing using what we call a peer input process. And so they'll just bring a problem that's keeping up them up at night, one by one, week by week. And we have a process for listening. Um, they turn off the camera and their audio and have the group have a conversation about that problem as if that person isn't there, which sounds excruciating, but actually it's just so bonding for the group. And in between the sessions, they have one-to-one conversations. So those relationships are deepening as we go. And so by the end of it, frankly, everybody's become very close friends and stuff starts to happen magical stuff like people calling each other for favors mentioning each other in publications Mm. offering jobs to each other you know just the understanding of the shared issues is raised there is a consciousness about the shared challenges in that sector and we kind of think of it as creating a bit of an underground network that people can't Mm. see that Mm. is newly shifting that's shifting a system because systems are made of relationships and if you consciously put effort on building new relationships in the system it will change the system it's definitely part of our theory of change so i'm just going to dig in because like part of this for me is obviously our work is enormously relational like rachel you know from when we work together like it was all back in those days it was all rooted in participatory leadership and engaging multiple perspectives to be able to influence where we go for all of that you know all of that stuff which i think is 20 odd 25 years ago was like radical thinking and is now just like mainstream how you get shit done but there's something about this relational element right which is very compelling but it always begs the question of like well what actually happens right how do people actually get to you know if we if we center relationships in the work and we center the depth and the quality of the relationship and we ascend that you know are we in some way compromising letting go of the element which is people rolling up their sleeves and actually doing something together and i know this is about in many ways this is about redressing a balance right it's not like there's a shortage of people who are ready to go do something together but like can you just speak to your experience of that from the cohorts and the people you're working with like what does it mean to ascend relationships do you drop something else when you ascend relationships does the capacity to act get compromised like just talk about the ascendancy of relationships for me and and perhaps the loss and the gain of it it'd be wicked to hear that yeah i think that's a it's a really important reflection and question and the value of the relationship building is really important for us in all the work that we're doing. And as Rachel was speaking about the cohorts and the peer learning model, creating the conditions for the relationship is really important and is countercultural. So often we find people will come into the to the work with the assumption that we have to get to action that the value and time and space that's required for the relationship building goes against kind of the pressures and the expectations that they're feeling in their day-to-day work. So we're very explicit about that intention and that value and how that happens, meaning people need to prioritize the time to connect and build and deepen and create space for the relational side of the work. And oftentimes we find that people who can come to that and give themselves that opportunity and experience it, they drop into a deeper space in the work and, and it's expansive and more creative and the possibilities emerge from there. So there is an important um, intention and value, but at the same time, 
It's less about action. So in our approach with peer learning cohorts, we also don't rush to action. We really encourage people to let the creative possibilities be generated and emerge from our time together and through a process that honors the relational pieces. But where we do hold the tension is around questions of power. So often when we convene people or when ecosystems are brought together and when people put a lot of emphasis on relationship, it's at the expense of the questions of like who's in the room and who has access to the room and who has access to the resources to show up and be present and be in a flow of relationality with the leadership of, of that work. And I think holding the tension of power with relationship is really where there's an interesting kind of opportunity and balance. Rach, you put something in the chat that I don't want to lose because it actually ties into a lot of how we think about the work as well. So you've got this, you've got these two words, scale deep, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and I think often when we think about scaling, we actually think about scaling across a region or we think about scaling across a system like a humanitarian organization or a large corporation. So when you say scale deep, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm going to hand over to Tatiana on that because she coined the phrase. But just to say something that I think is also key is that I feel like if we really want to create the conditions to create for systems change, we have to create the conditions for innovation or different ways of doing things to stick. And I really think that the only way that they happen that happens is through relationship that then creates the conditions for policy change or procedure change to happen. And if we don't spend enough time building relationships, then we can come up with great ideas, but they are quickly sidelined. Um, and so scaling deep is a strategy for systems change, which I'll hand over to Tatiana to talk about because it's her thing. Mm-hmm. So scale deep kind of came to be during conversations about scaling up and scaling out. And so when we talk about scaling up, it's really this this at the systems level, at the policy level, the structural level, and scaling out is replicating an idea, almost like a franchise or spreading something that's been successful. And when we were looking at scale in the context of the work we were doing at Girls Action, what came was, what about scaling deep? Like, what about the deep work that's happening that isn't actually being recognized in this conversation? And through um, further research into that kind of intuitive concept of scaling deep, we have come to understand it as the work that's done on a personal level. So the transformational, reflective deepening that an individual does in relationship to their world and the systems they're changing and also the work at the cultural level. So the more intangible belief systems, the values that are really hard to to touch and to um, concretize, but are inextricably linked, I think, to the personal work that happens. So that's what we mean when we are talking about scaling deep. And what we've also found over time is in terms of strategy that creating the conditions for that higher level kind of systems level change, that scaling up change, we need to do the scaling deep work first. So that often happens in the collaborative relationships at the grassroots level, in the roots, the root systems of the terrain that we're working in. And it also happens at that personal level. So really developing a reflective practice um, bringing kind of a critical lens into the questions of who am I in in relationship to this work and having a space to kind of set out 
and track ongoing learning around those questions is really part of that. And that once that work is established and once that's that deep root connectivity is attended to, then the scaling at the systemic systems structural level can be much more successful. So I wanted to ask, so you just, you both kind of went over something, I think really quickly, but I want to just kind of drill into it a little bit. You talked about, you know, as we were talking about relationships and ascendancy, Tatiana, you talked about that power comes in, like that that's the difference in the conversation. And, and I know that you all use an intersectional feminist lens, and I'm not sure how familiar all of our folks are with intersectional feminism, which is, I think, ex- at least my experience is quite different from traditional or second wave feminism, right? So I just would love to hear a little bit around how you bring power, like explicitly how you bring power into the room, what are the conversations? And then when you talk about intersectional feminism, what does that mean in your work? So when we talk about intersectional approaches, what it does is it recognizes that people have different experiences of systems based on their context, their histories, their identities. And especially in the context of feminism, when people assume that we're talking about gender, so a difference between a male and female, that it's in fact looking at intersections of not just gender identity, but race and class and sexual identity and ability. And so that the intersections of the context within which we are living means that we will therefore experience systems in different ways. And so when we're coming to systems change, bringing that lens allows us to bring a power analysis to what's actually going on in the system and who is being centered in terms of understanding where the challenges are and where the opportunities are. And so we then look at, okay, what's the dominant narrative here? What's the dominant voice that is interpreting the system and how can we shift and recenter the voices from different contexts in order to understand what's going on in the system. And when we do that, it's often people who are at the margins of that system or who are experiencing directly the harms of that system, who have the perspectives that we need to be paying attention to and who have ideas and visions and innovations for change and who we should be supporting in order to find solutions to address those those systems issues. So that's how kind of power weaves in. And um, that's what we mean when we when we talk about intersectionality. Rachel, I, I keep wanting to call you Rach because I think that's what I used to call you 15 years ago. And I have no idea if you like even respond to that name anymore. But like, so Rachel, how does what Tatiana was just saying kind of tie into the lineage of work you bring from the finance lab? You know what I mean? Like geographically rooted, sector rooted. Like, can you just make that bridge for me? Because yeah, I would. I just love to hear you talk about how, because there's something in I think how the two of you have met and how your experience of like leading that over eight years. Can you make that bridge for me? Well, I would say we've learned a lot from each other since we started working together. That's the first thing. Inevitably, to say. yeah, totally. Yeah, the connection that we've been thinking about most recently is after doing the finance lab for you know a period of time, we wrote up a, a kind of case study and we came up with a strategy for systems change. That was very much built on the concepts of community of practice, community of influence. And that has been the kind of connecting factor between the two things. That really in the finance innovation lab, what we were trying to do is find the individuals who were really committed to creating change and support them to lead it. So it was always from the bottom up rather than coming in with a really good idea about what we need to do and then kind of 
throwing money at the idea to try and get people to change. Um, it was more like, what are you already doing? How can we support you and lift you up? And I would say that that's very much what Tatiana and I do now is that we center the experience of the people who come to our programs. We're listening to what is it that the challenges were illuminating them and bringing consciousness to the collective bound, you know, barriers for change that exist in the world. And then we're trying to take that to places of power, money and influence and get funding to shift those things. And so actually we very much overlap in our sense of, mm. you know, how what kind of change do we want to help bring about in the world? And it really is about championing people who, who have been marginalised and sidelined and, you know, look from the outside like they've got really unusual ideas. But actually, when you put them all together, they were a really strong argument for change. That makes me want to ask you, and it's, I mean, I'm, I don't know if you'll have an answer, but it makes me want to ask you what you all have been surprised to learn as you kind of pull these two ways of thinking together, systems change and an equity analysis. That's, I know that's my language, but like what, it, what has surprised you? What's interesting? What are you, what are you learning as you pull these two things together? Yeah, there's lots of interesting insights that have come with that. And one of the things I just want to add to what Rachel was saying about the alignment we found together, I think a lot of it comes from the practice that Rachel brought from the Finance Innovation Lab around culture and holding culture and intending that. And in it, you know, we met at a time when she was with her young babies and, you know, an entrepreneur in the world, trying to juggle it all. And I had come through raising my kids and the connection around what does it mean to be mothers in this work and the feminist lens that comes onto that, that connection of what is happening kind of in our personal world is connected to the political, right? And so in the cultural elements, Rachel always brings this unabashed, like, here I am in my full humanity. And so that aligns with, in the feminist context, we're talking about the, the, the personal is political. And when you're given permission to expand that human part of you in the work that we're doing, it is the magic that is connected to systems change ultimately. And so that resonance, I think, is a big part of the glue and the way in which we reinforce each other. And then the way in which I think our work is unique in, in terms of the systems change space. And then I would say, you know, that explicitly bring that feminist analysis and lens to the work. Um, what's constantly surprising to me is how there is a, a conscious intention to shift the way we do what we're doing in systems change, right? We're trying to shift the way, the outdated ways of working to more collaborative, to more human, to more interconnected. And what I talk about when I say shifting outdated ways through that kind of feminist power lens is outdated ways of dominance, of violence, of hierarchy to relational, caring, collaborative ways of being. And What's shocking to me is that embodying that in the way that we do our work, there, there's still this way of being in the world. It's even the systems change space that is reflective of valuing kind of much more rational, much more technical and often, you know, 
old kind of white male led ways of doing and being in, in the world. And so that's always shocking to me because I think that this approach to, to doing things is so aligned. A feminist approach is so aligned with a systems approach, yet it feels like um, there's still a lot of work to do to actually get at that deep level of change. And there's a reality that a lot of the very large systems that hold a lot of the wealth and the power in the world are led by old white men, you know, and old white men that have sat on multi-generational power and wealth for a long time. And so it, it seems to me like, a, or it, my experience is that a bottom-up approach is insufficient. An approach that is purely rooted in relationship ends up being attacked later on because of the very nature of the bias that is in the senior decision-making places in our world. And I also feel like we often have a very limited understanding of those leaders, that our analysis, our analysis of those who have been marginalized is increasingly sophisticated. But our analysis of those who hold power isn't. We don't understand the psychology of those who are in leadership, who are able to act without empathy, to make decisions that impact millions right? Like our ability to have empathy with those leaders through an analysis and understanding, I feel it's vastly lacking. I mean, and also because that's my background. You mean, you look down my history, you've got colonial administrators, you've got spies, you've got office army leaders. I mean, that is, you've got multi-generational wealth rolling down my family for the last four generations that I know, three that I've shaken hands with. And so for me, there's something about, there's some, I, I mean, I just love when we talk about an analysis of power, right? What is our analysis of power that goes up? How are we equipping our change leaders and our change makers to actually not just navigate their way around old white men, but engage them and support them to be in a systems transformation? And I feel a lot of our time is spent trying to dodge them, to get around them, to make them more like us. And my experience is that that's very short term. It's a very short term solution somehow, you know, in many ways, I think there's just, there's, there's just as long an arc of change to shifting that tier of leadership, that class of leadership, as there is in any of the other layers of systems change, all of us are attempting to have an impact upon. Rachel, I see you nodding and think, th I want to know what, what's going on behind the nodding of the head, what, what, you, what you got? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting you know, when I was working in the Finance Innovation Lab, I definitely felt like use my position, positional power to bring about change in the dominant system where I fit in and people accept me and they, there are limitations to it, but I can still sit here. And, and then when I had babies, as Tatiana was saying, and I moved country and I had no network, and I had no friends, I was moving around all the time. You know, I, I was humbled really to my knees to be like, what the hell am I doing in the world to make positive change? And what I realized was like the power that I had was the power to convene other women who were doing something similar to what I was doing, which is that we started the System Sisterhood for Women who were leading systems change work. And they came in their droves because they were like, yes, thank you, because I was trying to do this and it doesn't work now. And now what am I supposed to do in the world? So I would say, you know, my key thing that I was nodding at was like, absolutely, because you have the power to have that conversation and I have the power to have this conversation because of my lived experience and Tatiana has the power to have that conversation. And if we're all doing the conversations that we can do, then I think collectively we have a chance as individuals working to shift systems at this moment in history to shift things, but we all have to be very aware of our role in the system and where we're located and what, where we can best move. And I found that like, I could not go back into those main systems when I was 
having kids stuff sick and like breastfeeding and try to facilitate massive gatherings. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was kind of a bit lost. What am I supposed, what am I doing in the world here? You know? So, I mean, my kids are getting older now and I can definitely see myself doing more of that now, but like it's a reality and it's important conversation. I think that wasn't being centered around, you know, individuals who are, who are assistance leaders having a career and like how do they navigate those very real challenges that happen are gendered brilliant yeah and i would also just add that i think you know it's interesting i I think the question of how do we influence the power holders and brokers is i hear that a lot it's echoed a lot and and i do think it's um you know what i've also seen is not so much about how do we get around them but more adapting and operating within those systems in order to try to work close to that power to for whatever reason and so I I think what's interesting to me is where we can see possibilities that we can't see on our own like where in ways that we are building collective learning spaces what can we see together that we can't see alone where are there new possibilities for example um work that we've done with climate and uh, women's leadership and care, those intersections, the question of the culture of care has come up. And I think there's a, there's a wonderful possibilities in looking at how does care get centered in the systems work that we're doing. And in that conversation, I can see that there may be openings and possibilities that kind of move beyond brokering power with those who who hold it in traditional ways. Uh, the other thing ultimately also is, I, I think, as Rachel's saying, when we're doing systems work, we're working at multiple levels. So, you know, holding those multiple levels is important as well. And I just love this idea of, what is it you said, Rachel? Like, we're all hosting the conversations that we're equipped to host based on our lives and our experience. And, and so it's like the more we increase the actors in this field, the more we're increasing the types of people who are holding the containers, right, for the next generation or the current generation or the departing generation of social change leaders, of change makers, whatever one you call them, the more effective we're being. I just, it was almost like a, just when you said that, I just had this visual image. I don't even know what it was, but I was like, like a, the visual part of my brain just got it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for both of you for your response to that. Yeah. And I was just going to add that part of why we're asking and talking about it is because this is, you know, some of Tim's passion, right? It's some of his, like, we haven't in our power analysis done a whole lot more than they have power. How do we get it? They have power. How do we get them to use it responsibly? How do we get them to use their privilege well? Like that's been, you know, it's like speaking truth to power and some of that stuff. And I think we've gotten clobbered in a couple of projects because like that is not how power wants, nobody wants to be talked to like that. No one wants to say, you need to come to how I think about things. Let me convince you, right? And so we've really been thinking about, and we had a a wonderful leader. She said, you know, you just like, it's like, you just wanted us to do it your way, collaborative, you know, relational, like, and she's like, and that's not necessarily where we are, right? And it's like, okay, we've got, we, we have something to learn here about engaging power, not to get what we want, but to actually meet them. And so this would be, I think Tim's like, like, this is where your passion is at this moment. And so just to kind of name that. And I, I would say when we have, when we talk with people about issues of equity, folks are so comfortable with talking about those who are marginalized and how we empower 
And sometimes they're really comfortable talking about how do we work across, like how do we work with our colleagues, but there's very little besides kind of demand, speak to, navigate, manipulate about power up, right? And so we're really, that's an edge for us. How do we work with power? How do we meet those human beings at the very top of the power hierarchy who may not have, again, as we, if we talk about systems, they have a different perspective on the system. And so we might want to say, oh, it's because they have power. Well, yeah, they do, but they also know things we don't know. And so like, and so it's really been an interesting exploration for us is what I say. So I know, I just wanted to say why like that, like has some juice for us. Like, oh, what does that look like? What is like, that would be, I would say the edge of some of our work, right? How do we actually really engage? And we've had enough times that we've not engaged well or tried to engage and missed it or or thought we were engaging and then discovered we weren't (laughs) (laughs) for with an amazing job of engaging all the layers of power and decision making only to find that we had missed the most senior decision making who was hiding behind a pillar and then came and clobbers the whole thing after three years of centering relationship and building networks and securing funds and laying all the groundwork for it then just to be on the chopping block the month before launch Right, as teaching a lesson to the other political leader who was involved, right? I mean, and that, you know, you, you had the more we found over, you know, two couple of decades of doing this stuff that like, we just have to get, we have to get smarter here. We have to get better here to be able to protect the work in some ways, right? To create the conditions for it to thrive. My response to that is like, you need a peer learning, you know, you need a peer learning program for people like you who are trying to work on that question. And that's really what Tatiana and I are really interested in doing. We, are really into who are the people doing the system change work and what are the barriers that they're facing and how do you create a mini peer learning program and then how do you create another one over there when that problem's solved or that learning's happened and so that's kind of why we started was like oh there's a little cluster of systems practitioners over here who are stuck and then there's another one over there who was stuck and like let's do it as long as it's needed and stop it when it's finished and so yeah, I love it that you've, you've got those questions and that's my definite response. And I love that too. And I think peer learning is exactly where I'm going at the moment. Like I'm looking around to saying, who's writing about this? There's a lot of work out there that's psychological now, right? But there's very little in terms of leadership development, change strategy, organization that really begins to look at those and build an analysis around that. So I, I love that. And, and also that the common senseness of a strategy that is rooted around peer learning, right? Oh, look, here's a bunch of people who've got a similar question. What if we brought them together so that they could, you know, as you say, dive deep, but as a result of diving deep, scaling deep, right, in relationship to each other, improve each of their individual actions, right? That makes sense. That feels like a very common sense approach on the kind of scale you're working at, which I think is kind of nationally or internationally to supporting the kind of field. So um, are the two of you very focused around kind of like s- social innovation, social change? Like, Because we've ended up finding ourselves in this world of like large institutions. It's been kind of weird, you know, and we didn't necessarily start here. It definitely started here in, you know, the Bacana two loops, uh, whatever, thinking that I was going to be like building the new, but I've actually realized that's not where I've ended, ended up at all. You know, we're finding a lot of our time is maybe even helping hospice some large institutions, helping really create the conditions within these large institutions for something new to get discovered. You know, I understand that your approach is peer learning. Like, and, and the more I hear you talk about it, the more that kind of like sinks into my body and I get it. But in terms of the field of systems change, 
here's my assumption. And then you can just tell me that I'm wrong or I'm close or whatever. But like, is that you're in this place of supporting those folks who are really driving towards generating and offering viable alternatives, places for people to migrate to. Is that accurate? I would say we work in different pockets and not just one one space. In the peer learning cohorts that we run from System Sanctuary, they are for systems leaders, quote unquote. And so while we're supporting systems leaders, we're also doing capacity building and training to support their ability to navigate their systems change. And so those systems leaders can be embedded in institutions, they can be working for government, they can be in the corporate sector, they can be more in community which is what also makes the learning that happens there really exciting because people are coming from all over the world and different contexts and their leadership is living, you know, with different challenges or taking on different issues. We also like to work at an ecosystem level in our peer learning, and we've been focusing on that much more in gender equity spaces. So supporting a field like gender, which is looking at issues around gender-based violence, around human trafficking, around women's leadership in climate. It's not a saturated space for systems change. It's actually a new space and which is really exciting. So we're bringing together systems practice and social change in in an interesting way, I would say. So we like to kind of work in lots of different places and not necessarily niche to just in one, one particular area. But Rachel, what else would you add to that? Yeah, we're a lot about individuals. So, you know, our our main programs are individuals who, and we speak to their emotional experience, who are lonely, burnt out, feel isolated in their work. And we are a system, you know, we're a place of sanctuary and refuge is the idea. And then as Tatiana says, we definitely work with a leader who is trying to convene an ecosystem of actors. And we use peer learning as a, a process for kind of bonding that group of actors together. Okay. I was just about to ask you about the word sanctuary. I was, I mean, that felt so intentional. So if you want to say any more about that, but then I also want to ask you, and this is my thing. I don't know. We've never done this before, but like, I am so in love with Martha Beck right now. So like, she is like, just has me on fire. Like her book, The Way of Integrity is so big. And she was just talking about sanctuary, right? And how people used to be able to go into churches and claim sanctuary, right? Like, this is just like, I just can walk in and and kind of let it all go and be safe. And so I'm assuming that's something around why you all picked sanctuary. I wonder if you needed sanctuary yourselves, but I would just love to hear a little bit about why the system sanctuary it's quite a unique name for kind of systems change work yeah sanctuary was very very deliberate and intentional so my god you know when we started it really was just like i need to have this conversation like you know we need to have this conversation as a group of individuals like this is really difficult you know just coming off the back of leaving our own work for a really long time and like going through big life transitions of moving children and leaving a big job and getting older and all those kind of things. And it was designed to be a place where we could just have that conversation that everybody was having at the side at conferences or like at drinks and just going, Oh my God, you know, this, and then we were like, let's center that conversation and let's set the conversation about how hard it is to do system change work and influence people who don't want to have their minds changed. And, you know, and, and the fact that, Doing system change work is like taking off glasses after another pair of glasses and like seeing the world and it unravels your personal life as well as your professional life. And 
we wanted to have that conversation and not a conversation about theory and practice and you know a kind of this level we wanted to go much deeper and so it's always been a place just to center real life conversations about the work that's amazing thank you i can i mean i can just feel again as you're talking like i can just kind of sink into both the the desire for that and what you've created it's just that's wonderful thank you and you should totally read Martha Beck's The Way of Integrity. It is changing my life. She's so good. <laughs> She's so good. What was it for you, Tatiana? Like the, the choice of a sanctuary? What was it that drew you to that? The intention for a space that transcends like, the performative nature of professional work that allows the full human to show up in the messiness. Like when we're, when we're hosting, especially on Zoom, and we've, all, we've done all our work across distance. So we were doing Zoom before pandemic. Um, but we, we always say to participants, like there's stuff going, back and the, going on in the background of your life. There may be kids, there may be disruptions. You need to take a break. People can feel free to do that. You know, they don't have to come and just perform for the, us. And I, I also think that this work is, you know, is part of a lifelong learning, right? It, it often brings together people who are, who are seeking um, deeply for, for change. And, and so it also alludes to a spiritual element of the work. And, mm. you know, as we're shifting away from kind of this very rational, disconnected way of being too much more interconnected, you know, it, it conjures a sense of spirituality and a sense of um, connecting to the heart and connecting to the spirit in the work that we're doing. And so sanctuary resonates with that and, and also creates space for those, for that level of the work to, to be engaged and to be invited in and to be present. Hmm. Just over the course of spending what, I mean, nearly an hour with you, I can feel it too. Like in that, that's just in your approach, you know, and I'm sure the podcast listeners can just feel it too. Like in like, like how you're talking and how you respond and how you just kind of modulate your language and approach. Like it's just, I, I can just, I mean, you can almost describe it as much as you want, but I guess the feedback I'd give you from spending an hour or so with you is I can feel it just from hanging out with you. And that of course is more trustworthy than any words we could put on it. Right. We're getting very close to very close to the end so there's a first of all like enormous gratitude for coming on and like sharing both you know parts of yourselves and parts of your work and parts of your view you know and being able to just engage in the kind of back and forth that we've done today so thank you thank you thank you and then we, we usually have a couple of things that we do at the end here and one of them is to say you know is there a quote or a poem that's like kicking around in your life right now that might be a nice way to kind of like close off the end of the pod. Has any of you got some, one of, Ava, one of you got something sitting in your back pocket right now that you might want to share? This is a poem by William Stafford. It's called The Way It Is. And we always share it at the start of our programs to make the point that um, we want you to bring in your lived experience, whatever it is. There is a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing you have to explain about the thread, but it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do can stop times unfolding. 
you don't ever let go of the thread. Can you share that to make the point that, you know, as we arrive as people who are hosting a cohort, we're also holding a thread and we're all equal peers in a moment trying to push for social and environmental change and we want to honour everybody's lineage and journey and not prioritise one over each other's. Love it. And that was William Stafford, is that what you said? Yeah. Fabulous. I haven't heard that poem before. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. And then the other way we tend to end is, you know, you've been in conversation with us. Certainly we have a lot of folks in common, but is there anyone you would recommend that we talk to on the podcast? You know, who who's lighting you up? Who's setting, you know, setting your yourself on fire? And we often follow this with, are you gonna make the introduction? It's part of what happens as well. If we're going to bring them in for season five, we may end up reaching out to me like, you know, we'd love to get in touch with them. I've been um, following the work of Bio Akalomafe, doing some really interesting work, I think, on systems change. And I won't be able to introduce you to him. But um, if you go and dig a little bit further into his work, this Karen Barad is uh, someone who he is really inspired by her work. And she's the author of Meeting the Universe Halfway. So that's quite inspiring and also brings a feminist lens into systems work um, as well. I love it. And we are, we're hosting a webinar series, a dialogue looking at meeting at the intersections of care and climate and economy. Um, and we will have Nora Bateson on. Have you had Nora on before? Not yet. Not. So, so what she's doing with warm data is actually really interesting. Totally. As well. Yeah. I think um, she'll be a guest on, on our, in our series. Yeah. That's for me. These are some of the folks that I'm inspired by these days. Brilliant. I love it. It's really nice to hang out with you both. Like mm. another team of a duo out in the world doing systems work. Mm. Fun to hear about your, what's in your brain also. So thank you very much for having us. Wicked. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. It's been great to have you. And I think people will be really interested. I feel like, I feel like in some ways, Tim, I felt like we're a little lonely saying, Hey, we have to have some kind of power analysis in this work. And like, we have to be thinking about these things. And so it's just great to hear you all doing that and articulating that in the world. So yeah, I love it. Wicked. Thanks you too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You guys, you should, we'll send you the link to the, this, the series that we're hosting. It's called the sanctuary series and it's monthly like an hour and a half you might actually enjoy jump dropping in there's really amazing people and we're partnered with the turtle island institute with tara lynn mcfern who'll be co-hosting anyways i i think it'll be a nice space and some really interesting thinking that's shared so nice great brilliant and we'll include it in the show notes <laughs>